0: Check!
1: Past podcast with me, Freddie, and me, Charlie. Thanks so much for listening. It was as if he'd kicked about three pounds of haggis that time because it hardly got off the ground. Welcome back to the Pass Podcast, where Charlie and I are talking all things rugby, from the international stage all the way down to grassroots, and we'll always try to throw in a few stats that you can impress your friends with along the way. Much like Italy's shock victory over Wales being the first time the Italians have ever won at the Principality, or ever won in Wales, in fact. But before we get into that incredible result, just a reminder that we're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so if you've enjoyed listening to our unpopular rugby opinions and occasionally rational analysis, it would be great if you could tap follow and give us that five-star rating. It really helps us out a lot. But of course, if you want the full Pop Pass Pod experience, feel free to head over and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and even Facebook too. Thanks so much for joining us once again, Charlie. There is a lot to cover today. So what have we got coming up?
0: Well, the final weekend of the tournament really didn't disappoint and we'll be giving you the rundown of all the action from Super Saturday.
1: And he gets support for A shock for the ages as Italy finally break their seven-year Six Nations losing streak, Forza d'Italia. Yeah!
0: Scotland's boozing comes back to bite them as they were swept aside by Ireland. Watch at the ball, and the captain is through!
1: France beat England at a canter in Paris to win the Grand Chalem.
0: And we'll take a look back across the championship, giving you our teams of the tournament.
1: So let's get into it, shall we? Look, Super Saturday, the final time we can review Six Nations fixtures this year, and it really... It, It was great, wasn't it? It
0: was so good. I mean, it started. Absolutely loved it. It
1: started brilliantly.
0: (laughs) Actually, how better could it have started? Like, I I don't know. (laughs) I
1: would argue almost went downhill from there. As an (laughs) England fan, I think (laughs) like having having the Wales Italy game, which almost was a game that I was like, well. I could miss a little bit of that. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Like, it's inevitable. I was almost tempted to to suggest on our, on our Instagram on the weekend that that game was the inevitable
0: one. Ooh. Well, you did predict 20, d- <laughs> tw- 25 points for I, Wales, didn't I, you?
1: I, yeah, i predicted 25 points for Wales. But Wait, I mean, I,
0: mean I, I shouldn't be gloating. I was 15 for you Wales. 15. So
1: it's t- look, you, you did, to be fair, Think the italians are going to do slightly better yeah but no one said it
0: it's going to win <laughs>
1: it is ridiculous to suggest that anyone thought it was going to be anything other than a bonus point win for wales i mean
0: last week we were reflecting on how capuzzo yes he was brilliant but mm-hmm. i was unsure whether we had a star in the making yeah i don't want to say it again but i think we got a star in the making
1: <laughs> i mean unbelievable best moment of the day by far the italians look they performed so well throughout that game they were at leading going into half time and everyone i think who was watching that game had a feeling that wales were going to come back into it finally it was one of those like in fa cup games where a big team toils for ages and ages and you're like well they're just <laughs> going to get they're just going to get a goal aren't they and they inevitably do m- nine times out of 10 but this time even after wales go over and, and take the lead and they've got that six point lead and you're like well that's that then it was nice while it lasted Italy, they they go to the corner. There's two minutes to go. They lose the line out, and you're like, "Oh, well, typical Italy. They can't, they can't do it this time." And what happens next was just brilliant. Right, I watched a video on on Twitter where they overlaid a Ness and Dorma.
0: Ah, oh, beautiful! <laughs> onto
1: onto the uh, um, the Capuzzo uh, break and the Padovani try. Have,
0: have you heard the Italian commentary for that yes, as well? It's it, amazing, absolutely amazing.
1: Uh, it, it was just a great moment. I, I
0: mean, I find it so good though, because last week I was reflecting on how Italy were actually so much stronger than they have been across the tournament. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I actually said, oh, I kind of wish that that game was sort of their final game because it was such a good moment for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, now I am so glad that they had that final opportunity to get that win, it's Mm -hmm. ridiculous.
1: The great thing about that try as well is that not only does he spot the gap, he goes through it, amazing step, but he has the wherewithal as a young player to not he just to not be the hero and he sees Padovani inside and gives it gives it to him has the wherewithal to give it inside because he knows that'll be an easy conversion and i know it sounds really simple when you watch it but when you've got all that adrenaline pumping through you and you've got to make that final pass and he probably could have scored in the corner but knowing actually in that time slowing everything down and giving it inside but it was an incredible moment and and as well Garbizzi taking that kick it was also brilliantly Italian because he kicks it over, it was fine, and then he sort of rides on the ground and yeah. you know, bursts into tears. I mean, they deserve it. They this played is why kind
0: of... we, we started this championship with this debate, this stupid debate about whether they should be in the tournament. Mm. This is why, this passion, and it's what they can bring to the tournament when they finally get going.
1: It was a wonderful win for Italy. I'm so pleased with them. It's probably my favourite moment of the tournament. Where does that leave Wales? Their performance was really really poor it's, it doesn't you know italy were, were fabulous but wales just didn't show up and it was a real strange atmosphere in the principality i have a feeling it's probably because of the time it was on and yeah st- it
0: was it was more of like a family atmosphere yeah. with with um, alan Wyn jones also winning his 150th cap everything was yeah. just sort of set up for oh this will be a nice game for everyone to come and watch we'll get the families down yeah we'll beat italy <laughs>
1: exactly. I, I think it was so, so strange that there was it was a sunny day and it was just, it didn't have any of the characteristics that a principality usually has of being a, a rugby cauldron. I think Wales, they couldn't feed off anything. Not that they need to feed off anything to to beat Italy. They should beat Italy and they should have beaten them comfortably. It's a shame to, to end the tournament in that way. And also, as Dan Bigger said in his post-match interview, which was quite a surprising thing for him to say, was that they got into a um, huddle at the end and that he basically said to a lot of them that this might be your last chance in a Wales shirt, which we all know Dan Bigger's going to play for Wales, so we know he's not talking about himself. But there'll, there will be some players who don't think we'll play for Wales, at Wales again because you you can't perform like that at home. for Six Nations. I, and it could be embarrassed.
0: I do have a sort of... I do get a bit nervous by that statement, though, because that's not a good atmosphere for a team to have when a player is calling players out like that. Mm-hmm. like that's a coach's job not really yeah. a fellow player's job because from that moment onwards if one of those players makes it into the, the squad for the World Cup and they're thinking to themselves oh I wonder if he was meaning me at that point that's not good
1: Probably a lot of emotion running through you don't want to lose to Italy at home it's it is embarrassing but take nothing away from the Italians a brilliant moment and I'm so pleased for them and hopefully they can build on that. Moving on, Scotland, Ireland. Scotland had a lot of controversy in the week with uh, high-profile <laughs> players out on the booze. And
0: yes, again, unfortunately. Yeah. And
1: it wasn't just people that you'd expect, like Finn Russell, you know, great player, but... He's not someone that I'd be surprised to see in the headlines.
0: A classic case of a maverick. He's just <laughs> always at uh, the maverick, Finn Russell.
1: Oh, yeah, he's a great player, but like he's—he's—it's not so su- no, no surprise to hear that he's been going out on the booze. But players like Stuart Hogg, Darcy Graham—you've got guys like that. You know, the the core leadership group of the team, players that are the best players in that team, doing that before a game—it's just. It's it's not good for Scotland. It doesn't doesn't look good on on them as a team, and it doesn't look good on Gregor Townsend as well. The amount of control he may or may not have.
0: Yeah, and it's something that I thought that international rugby sides have put behind them following yeah. the 2011 World Cup with exactly. England's obvious disasters at that World Cup. So yeah, very surprised by it, but I'm not really surprised by Scotland's performance in that game. Unfortunately, this tournament just hasn't been their tournament. To yeah. put it to put it politely, 26-5 as a as a defeat. It's just, it's not, it's not awful, but it's it's pretty soul destroying to come away from a championship in which they were pipped to maybe come third by uh, someone, someone stupid, Um, (laughs) (laughs) and you know they they basically couldn't, they didn't turn up against Ireland and narrowly lost to Wales. I think this is a real chance for Scotland to rebuild from this this tournament, and I'm I'm just worried by what I'm seeing from this Scotland squad. I'm I'm not putting a a brave face on it, really. It's just I, yeah. I, I don't know what else to say. It's
1: all gone downhill since the since the first weekend, which is a shame because they set themselves up so nicely. And I think we both thought after that win against England that they would they would push on for Ireland. They won the triple crown, which obviously you know they were they were so close to winning the tournament. If England had done them a favour later on, it was a really strong performance. It it really established them or further established them as the best home nation side by by a distance, I think. This tournament, it was just quite quite straightforward for them. I I think it was very comfortable. I don't think they really had to get out of. I think also it's just the
0: the depth in that squad. I've said it before, just really impresses me. Yeah, and the other sides in from the home nations just don't come anywhere close to that. I mean, potentially England on their best day maybe could have some some players that could rival. The depth that Ireland have but Scotland and Wales yeah. unfortunately are just off the pace in that respect I,
1: I think in terms of in terms of player quality I think England and Ireland are fairly matched I think what really impresses me about Ireland is is their structure and their game plan there seems to be a clear way of playing which translates to good performances because every player knows their role whenever there is an attacking phase they know what they need to do they know the options that they have it doesn't seem spontaneous it seems planned and some people might think that's a negative but i think when it comes off and when they create that space they're also being really clinical as well so they're really coming together of course we've got a while to the next world cup we don't want to be in danger of uh of saying that Ireland will peak too early if they perform at this similar level when we get to uh, next year's six nations then we can start talking about them as being contenders for the world cup but Ireland yet yeah, impressed me once again and they were very very close to taking the title the final game. England, France, France winning the Grand Chelem. It was, again, also quite straightforward for France, I think. I think it was a difficult watch from an England perspective. Why? Again, it didn't look like we had a plan. Mm -hmm. It was, all the week was, you know, we spoke about George Furbank coming into the side. A really strange introduction. He's not been playing well for Saints. I don't think he should be in that. England squad, let alone in that starting fifteen. I
0: mean, Eddie Jones just really likes him, and clearly he sees something that we're not. So yeah.
1: I just think we've got we've got lots of good wingers, and Freddie Stewart is by far and away our best fullback. And it was just it didn't really make sense. I get that he wanted to play some kind of kicking game, and when Freddie Stewart did kick and regathered, I mean, God, he's good. Yeah, we've <laughs> spoken about. It we all this, know that. Yeah, he's, he's so so good, but it just it was uninspiring again, and it just it didn't seem like there was a plan really when it came to attack the kicking game plan I could see but when it came to attacking there were so many moments where it was there was a time where England had got penalty advantage just outside the 22 Marcus Smith gets the ball Marchant and Slade overrun him so Smith sort of pauses for a second and tries an, uh, a crossfield field kick to Freddie Stewart Freddie Stewart isn't ready for that and it goes straight to France they mark it and get the penalty but it was just like that. We had a free play. Like surely we had a wild card under a wild card set play under our sleeve, and we were going to bring it out at that point. You know why not? And yet at that point, no one knew what was going on.
0: I talked about rock speed last week, and just a little stat for you: rocks under two seconds. France had forty percent of their rocks under two seconds. England twenty yeah. percent. And again, I just think that stat is such a metric for how a team is playing yeah. in terms of their. Just, just not just the pace of the game, but just their confidence. Yeah, confidence can translate into ball speed and ruck speed. So it's just amazing to see how uninspiring they are. It was, also,
1: <laughs> the defensively, their defensive tactics were so off. Like they weren't committing any anyone to the ruck. And I know it's some might say that it's because France were going so quickly and they couldn't even commit. But England weren't even trying to slow the ball down. It's not like people were coming in and getting cleaned out straight away. They were genuinely. It looked like a, a a distinct tactic from Eddie Jones to not commit anyone to the rucks they had so much quick ball that they end up tearing England apart and also there were moments in that first half where France were a drop ball away from carving us open but France imperious once again
0: I just love the way they play Yeah. and I, I, the pictures of them when they won the Six Nations at the end were just so good just everyone around in the huddle just like the cameras down low they've got the they've got the trophy the stadium lights are going mental and I was just thinking in my head like could I see England doing that? <laughs> Not at all. Does Twickenham have the
1: capability to yeah, that? Yeah, if,
0: if, if England won, it would be some sort of song going on in the background and England just doing a lap of honour um, with some people just gently clapping, maybe some swing low sweet chariots going on and everyone rolling their eyes. Yeah. Just be like, oh God. Whereas France, they just look so cool, just like their their national football team does as well. So I mean, just... they,
1: they really know how to set the scene for a sporting occasion. I'm really excited for the World Cup next year and how they manage that because the Stade de France just did such a great job at lifting the crowd, having extra things involved, like the pyrotechnics, the lights, that it didn't seem tacky. It seemed fun. Mm. It it wasn't sort of like American Super Bowl style.
0: But yeah, you're right. France don't don't make it seem tacky. They just make it seem
1: cool. Cool. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And I don't know... Which
0: doesn't sound cool saying that.
1: (laughs) But they were... The best side, Ireland. What came very close, but I think they just—they were phenomenal all over the pitch. France.
0: We've got two teams there that have clear identities, yes. and we love the way they play. The other sides, I mean, Italy. Maybe their identity is starting to come through. It's uh, you know offload play, got quick players all over the pitch. Okay, maybe that's coming through. But for me, the main worry for the other side is I don't know how they play. I know yes. how France play. I know how Ireland play. I could describe it to you in a minute. Boom, done. And that's how that's effective rugby. It's, it's an identity that runs through the entire squad and means that everyone's playing on the same playbook.
1: Exactly. And one last thing on, on the French. Sean Edwards has clearly transformed that team, particularly, obviously, in defence. I do not know how Wales managed to let him go. And I do not know how England didn't give him whatever he wanted to, to sign up as defence coach when he became available. It begs belief. I do understand it. And, you know, his introduction to French rugby has paid dividends. So, yes, France winning the Grand Chelem deservedly.
0: So we thought we'd finish this tournament by reviewing our team of the tournament. So let's kick things off. I'm assuming you're wanting to go... 1-15. to
1: 1-15. to 15.
0: That makes sense. Okay, so number one for me, Tad Furlong. Uh, just encapsulates what it means to be uh modern prop, really.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I I, would agree with that. I've gone for Ellis Genge. I think he, despite England's poor performance throughout this tournament, I think he was one of the shining lights in that team. And, you know, doing the job of a number eight in the game previously. Again, was unsure about the tactics, but he was great, he, despite being told to to, to do that. I think his scrummaging against Ireland was, was phenomenal. It was world-class. And I think he's really evolving not only into a great, great prop, but a great leader as well.
0: Yeah, I think one-on-one in that game, Genge won against Furlong. So yeah, he could be in for a shout. But for me, I just felt like Furlong throughout the whole tournament was just a part of a side that obviously played better. And I think he was key to that. So yeah. for me, it's Furlong.
1: Number two, I think we've gone for the same Three, two, one. Julian Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> that was not. <laughs> that was
0: actually. That I was, promise you, we can't see each other's teams. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I mean, player of the match against Wales. Started every match during this championship. Captains the Toulouse side, which I didn't actually know, mm-hmm. with Dupont and and Cyril Bay in it.
1: He's he's a phenomenal player, and I think he's the best, if not one of the best hookers in the world at the moment he just does everything he can do everything what more can you ask of a of a front row forward
0: glad we agree and um, then the other prop
1: well the other prop I I've, I've kind of cheated on this because I've put Cyril by although he plays at one I've
0: put Cyr- Cyril by as well yeah. so don't worry I I think I think we could both see why he had to be included yeah i think uni antonio was good but i think by brought so much more in terms of offloading yes and maybe it's because it was in moments that led to tries and maybe antonio was doing it slightly off in the quieter areas of the game but i just thought he was you know one of the best and actually he is second most offloads in the championship
1: At number four oh, oh let's just go second row yeah i've picked cameron Walkie. yep same Obviously, I think he's France's best sort of lineup specialist in, in many of the games they threw to him more than any other any other jumper. He's only
0: 23. It's a joke. Yeah, it's a joke. It's, it, it's scary. Like he is going to be such a good player. I can't wait to have so many more yeah. ten potentially ten years of, of working in the Six Nations. Well, I he can't re- wait for He it.
1: reminds me of my other pick, which is Maratogia. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's think, he,
0: that's my other pick as well. Yeah.
1: I think Maratogia, again, England didn't perform very well. But I think that was a testament to maybe the overall tactics as opposed to the player base. I think England have the talent. I think they have the talent of of an Ireland, maybe not quite up the same level as France at the moment, but they have the potential to be there. The player pool is ridiculous, but Maratoge, he is so consistent. He is such a thorn in everyone's side whenever he, he plays He was them. there
0: whenever England needed him most. Yeah. And especially against Wales, he got that key turnover right at the end. I think him and Woki were both really efficient at the line-out. And so I think both of them, for me, just had to be yeah. in it.
1: And he toes the line between legal and illegal so well. Like, yeah. yes, he cheats, and I say cheats in inverted commas. Yeah,
0: we all know the instant. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. But the thing is, is, he's so good at getting away with it. And there are, uh, you know, there's one certain Richie McCaw who was famous for it. Master of, of the
0: Dark Arts.
1: Exactly, and was one of the best players of all time. So we can't criticise him for that. Now onto the back row. Should we do flankers first?
0: Yes. Okay, I've gone for Lamoureux as one of mine. Yes, I've gone for Lamoureux. I just thought he was fantastic for that side. Again, so young. I thought he led the side brilliantly. Top tackler for the tournaments. Yeah. He's just ridiculous. He's so good.
1: I think that's the thing. You know, he, The work rate is unbelievable. His leadership is unbelievable. You know, Go on to YouTube and watch some of his half-time or, or pre-game speeches. They're unreal. Easily in the team of the tournament. At seven, I've gone for Josh van der Fleer.
0: Me too. And I wrote that before I saw that he was one of the player of the championship nominees. And in my head, I was thinking, you know what? He could be a, a player of the championship nominee. I haven't nominee. seen them. Is okay. It? Well, he's on there. He's
1: on there. Okay. I'm sure well, the well, other wait. nominees are on there yeah, as yeah, yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Josh van der Fleer. He got a try in the, last, in the last game on Saturday.
0: I mean, he got two tries throughout the tournament, which puts him level with the likes of Conway and Darcy yeah. Graham. I, so from a from a flanker, that's ideal.
1: Exactly. And he doesn't get taken off either. He is he is the mainstay on that side. Yeah, he's he full 80. He
0: is immense in the loose as well, just like everywhere on the pitch. He's fantastic.
1: Exactly. Number eight, I think we've definitely agreed on this one as well. Gregory Aldrich.
0: Yep, said it before, I think he's been one of the best players of this championship. He is one of the nominees for player of the championship. Okay. I mean leading candidate in terms of carries. He had nine more than any other player claimed 6 t- turnovers and made seven offloads he's just the complete package he i is. just don't i think i thought dom, dom Brandt was in with a shout i thought he was excellent for england throughout the the championship yeah. fallatao when he you know he missed a bit of the the tournament i thought he was good but for me it's audrey
1: it's audrey i think fallatao if he played more of the tournament there would be it would be pretty close but i mean audrey was was unreal and i probably would have to have played falatel at six I <laughs> to get both of them in the side uh number nine do we even need to talk about him we've spoken about him so much it's and-
0: jameson gibson park <laughs> <really>. <laughs> no it's dupont obviously Antoine
1: dupont the best player in the world still the best player in the world it's
0: just ridiculous probably the best
1: player in this championship
0: i can't wait to just see what else we can see from him he is incredible i i have I can't give him any more praise. He's a freak of nature. He's a freak of nature. And
1: I think so much more to come from him, which is kind of scary.
0: Yeah. Speaking of which, who's um, you fly half?
1: Well, I am I feel this is a little bit controversial, but I've gone for Marcus Smith.
0: Yeah, I thought you would. See, I, I went for Unsmack. Yeah. Just taking... I, I think Smith obviously deserves all the, uh, the praise he gets. Yeah. But there's this constant thing with Smith. That he's the young gun and he's amazing. Intermac mm-hmm. is younger,
1: yeah, which is pretty. And mental.
0: he won the Grand Slam. Mm-hmm. He played ten throughout the whole tournament, and he just doesn't put a foot wrong. Yeah, it's amazing. And he was like, for example, he was uh, joint top with Gibson Park for triassists.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think he's. I don't think it's a it's a bad choice. I think it might actually be a more common choice to put Intermac in. I think he is a great player. I think he's basic. He's probably a little less flashy than Marcus Smith, which is strange saying that because French 10s are always, yeah. always pretty
0: flashy. <laughs> and also that famous moment in the Autumn Nations <laughs> when yeah. he just oh, chucked that, it behind. Yeah, yeah. anyway, beautiful note New Zealand.
1: But yeah, I think my argument for Marcus Smith is top point scorer in the Championship. I think he was one of those players that I think if, if England can give him a better game plan and a better structure and, you know, this isn't necessarily his fault or, or England's fault, but more weapons
0: the elephant in the room a better option at 12 yeah
1: exactly I just think he did a lot with the little he was given and I think he was almost given maybe too much responsibility to run this attack and this being his first six nations I can understand how it didn't always go well but there, was, there were there glimpses and there are moments where you're like, "This kid's going to be." Unreal. I think that's a
0: very good case for him. I um, think, yeah, we we can't say that he wasn't one of England's best players. I so. think
1: if you're picking a, a, the best ten from the tournament, you're you're going either in Smack or Smith. Yeah. I think that's where you're going to go at eleven. Well, well, wing, wing. Should we do both wings? Yes, yeah. do both wings. Yeah.
0: For me, I just went with Pano and Villiers. Yeah, I, I, was, I did toy with some other players in there. I even had Darcy Graham in there for so at, at, at one point.
1: I've gone for Penno and James Lowe. Yeah, with Darcy Graham on my sort of honourable mentions list. Villiers is. I was kind of going to go between Penno or Villiers, even though I totally understand why you put them both I, in.
0: I also did that, and then I just decided they both were the best wingers. That, yeah, that's that's for me. I can't really say anything else. But I mean, for Villiers, for me. It's not just what he brings in terms of attacking game. He was, you know, he got three tries and it was in one match. That's not a me- That's pretty good. But, you know, it's, it's not going to set the world on, on fire. But for me, it's what he brings defensively. He had three turnovers against Ireland, which are just pretty incredible stats for a winger. And it's just behind the lights of Aldrete. And I just think he's a different kind of defender to many of the wingers we see these days. So I think it's just, yeah, it's yeah. what he brings attacking and defensively for I me. Think,
1: I think... That's a great case. For James Lowe, he'd played less than Villiers. I just think in the time that he had for Ireland, he was just an absolute menace in attack, in defence. His work rate is sensational. I mean, the Kiwis must be, I mean, they've got a great pool of players, don't get me wrong, but I think he I think he dropped into that side very, very well indeed. Uh so I thought he was brilliant. Darcy Graham, yeah, as I said, honourable mention. He did play well for a Scottish side that throughout the tournament as it went on performed worse and worse but yeah i think those are i think those are two good picks uh let's go for the centers now i have gone for 12 jonathan dante
0: you see i went for a a slightly rogue option i went nick Tompkins. okay just because i mean i know he could also play at 13 and he's used to that because at saris he often has to play at 13 i just felt like he was a really good option for wales and constantly i was looking at him thinking oh my god what are england missing And I think that's a real mark of a great player. And I thought that throughout the championship for Wales, he was pretty consistent. And again, defensively, I thought he was amazing. He put in so many tackles; it was ridiculous for a back. Mm -hmm. So I just, I just thought that as another option, it'd be good to sort of highlight what he meant for that Welsh squad.
1: Yeah, I don't think that's a bad pick either. I mean, it's a real shame that you know he played for England in the twenties and now is a mainstay on that Welsh side. He was brilliant. I think for Dante, he just encapsulates again what a twelve should be at this level. He can be the battering ram. He's also got great hands, great awareness in attack and in defence. He was brilliant. You know, Tompkins is definitely a good choice, but my team has dominated, as is yours, with Frenchmen. Yeah, and yeah, And yeah. think, I think I can understand why you put Tompkins in, because for me, I've got no Welshman in my side. <laughs> but for me, it has to be it has to be Jonathan Dante. On to outside centre, I've gone for another Frenchman. Gal
0: Ficou. Yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it
1: just, again, as we've said, there's lots of Frenchmen in this in this squad. Understandably so, he was brilliant throughout the tournament.
0: He just, he can do everything, really. He, he just seems like he
1: glides when he runs with the ball.
0: I don't know whether this tournament, outside centre, was a position which no one really shone that much, though. Like, Fiku was good,
1: mm-hmm. yes, yeah,
0: and he did the simple things well, and I'm sure he is an absolute essential part of that French squad, mm-hmm. but... I just don't think anyone really lit the tournament up at yeah. centre really, you, think, and especially outside centre position where you have that potential.
1: Yeah, I think Gary Ringrose did very well yep. for Ireland, but I think he did very well without being spectacular. I think he's, he has set such high standards for himself that I don't think he did, anyth- did anything to harm his reputation, but he just played at that high level consistently. I agree. But I think Fiku was helped by the style of, of rugby that France play but he just he just had that aura about him and as I said he feels like he glides around the pitch yeah and
0: like I mean it. two tries in the tournament he still had a pretty good tournament yeah. obviously so you know I, exactly. I, I, he, I don't think it's uncontroversial to put him there
1: no and finally at fullback. now I'm gonna let you go first on this one just because Capuzzo oh you put Capuzzo yeah okay we both put Capuzzo okay fine <laughs> so, the thing is there's there's players honourable mentions we've got Hugo Keenan played brilliantly Melvin Jaminet
0: I mean, Jaminé was in there uh, briefly for me. Was he? Okay. Because I thought, oh, France have finally found an amazing goal kicker. Yeah. Or consistent goal kicker. But I just don't think you can move past that. Like, it came down to one moment.
1: Yeah. My favourite moment of the
0: Six Nations. But even then, it wasn't just that one moment, obviously. No. Like, he was also great in the game before. He scored two tries on his debut.
1: And then he wins the game for Italy at the Principality. And also, he's like seventy kilos, looks like twelve years old, and you know <laughs> all those other things. He he couldn't not be in
0: there. Yeah, it, it's it's bad to put someone in a squad for pretty much one game, but one one little bit games. But yeah. that one game is iconic, and it may come to define what this Six Nations was all about. So exactly. So to close off the Six Nations, we thought we would just grade the teams in terms of their performance. And I went to the trouble of writing a little bit of a criteria, a marking criteria for the teams. Nice. So the watchwords are, A star is an outstanding performance. The candidate has exceeded the expected standard in all areas of their work in terms of creativity and attention to detail. This paper would be recommended for publication. So, so A star, yep. A, excellent. The candidate has produced work which is engaging throughout, highly original, and holds themes throughout, consistent themes throughout. Okay. Okay, okay. So, maybe an identity, a style. Structure. A structure. B, very good. The candidate has shown work which is original and holds attention, but lacks attention to detail and or structure. C. Good. The candidate has displayed work which shows some originality and creativity but relies on a limited number of sources to the structure of their work. And D. Fail. The candidate has produced work which falls below the expected standard. It relies heavily on one source, shows limited structure with a persistent lack of attention to detail.
1: Oh, God. Well... (laughs) <laughs> well, okay, from that, from that, let's move through the teams. Where are we going to start? Should we go through the table? Yeah, from top to bottom. From top to bottom. France. A-star. A-star. It couldn't really be anything else. You can't win a Grand Slam, a Grand Chelem, without receiving an A-star.
0: We've already talked about it. They were outstanding throughout the tournament. I'm very pleased that they did win the Grand Slam. I didn't... Well, did I see it coming? <sighs> I knew they were going to be really good, and I'm really glad that they fulfilled that. But i don't think if you pressed me i would have thought they would have won the grand slam i think i would have thought they would have lost to ireland yeah. but then i would have thought ireland were going to lose to england yeah. so therefore ireland would have come second and well i mean in my predictions i didn't even say Ireland would come second but anyway <laughs> we'll move on from that yeah i thought france would probably do a classic france france it up and lose one game they yeah. didn't
1: i think yeah, i i thought that there wasn't going to be a grand slam this year france proved me wrong they were outstanding throughout their games there were some close ones against Ireland and Wales but still it shows how strong of a team they are that they didn't play well throughout the tournament they didn't play at their maximum but they still managed to beat teams and um, and win the Grand Slam so A-star
0: A-star perfect from perfect. them well nearly perfect <laughs>
1: <laughs> in, in second place Ireland
0: yes a for me. I've gone for A as well. So yeah, they were excellent. I th- I thought they were, as we've already talked about, they they've got that identity nailed down. Their rock speed was incredible, and they can really put teams to to the cleaners at times. <laughs> I mean, the yesterday game showed that. I mean, obviously that was the controversy, but we'll move on from that. Yeah. But aside from that, I thought against Scotland they were outstanding, and they really showed the the difference between those two sides.
1: Yeah, I think they the only thing missing that that A star is there if they'd won the title or probably won the Grand Slam they were so close to beating France in, in Paris
0: but a triple crown so you know excellent from exactly. them
1: and I think also giving them an A suggests that there's still more to come from them which yes, there is definitely. they're not no, they're, they're not completely there yet
0: and I mean I think we're, we're yet to still see potentially the heights of this RSI just considering the fact that Leinster and Ulster are top of the table in the URC and yep. then Munster are fourth I mean to have that sort of dominance at club slash province level mm-hmm. is just so shows how good they are yeah. and how many of those players play in those squads all of them exactly all of them will play in those three those three teams the
1: chemistry that they can build up when 10. it's not when it's not in the international window is an advantage that not many other teams have so an a for me an a for you moving on to england
0: i've gone for a c
1: i have to agree with you again so c. good i
0: i don't think we can say they were very good no They weren't very good throughout the whole tournament, but they did show that they can still win, obviously, but it's just not quite there for them. They just don't have this identity. There are just so many areas of the pitch that I just can't fathom why Eddie Jones has put certain players in, and his style is unknown.
1: There was no 80-minute performance. There were flashes of, of good stuff in there. I think the structure is a real issue. I don't really know the game plan, Lots of talk, obviously, about Eddie Jones this week, whether he stays, whether he goes. He is not going to be sacked, just if anyone thinks he is. He's not going to be sacked. The RFU
0: are not going to do that.
1: They're not going to sack him. I don't think he should be sacked. Look, he's been in, in coach for seven years. He's won three Six Nations out of those seven. Granted, the first two were in his first two seasons, so one in the last five years. He's taken us to a World Cup final. I don't think he suddenly doesn't know what he's doing. He does make a lot of questionable decisions. But for Eddie Jones, I think... Everything is about the World Cup. He speaks about it all the time. Not that this is the right thing to do, but I don't think he cares too much about the Six Nations. I think for him, in his head, he lost as a, as a he lost as a, as a coach for Australia in 2003. He lost in the final in 2019. I think he's hell-bent on winning this World the Cup. The World Cup every, is his end game. Every, yeah, everything he does goes to that point.
0: I mean, I have very little confidence from this tournament, but as we're saying, if we're trying to think of Eddie Jones playing a bit of chess here and being one step ahead, yeah, I do think with his eyes looking ahead to the World Cup, we are starting to see what he's trying to build on to reach that point.
1: Exactly. And they've got a summer tour in Australia. I think that's going to be really close. I think Australia obviously have had their bit of a renaissance in the last year or so. That will be a tight series and that will again show where England are going. Hopefully they will develop their attacking style a bit more. But with players like Marcus Smith and Freddie Stewart having more time at test level, that spine can slowly be built up and built further.
0: I also hope he puts a bit more trust in Marchant. I thought Marchant was actually pretty good on Saturday. Yeah. And I do think that he's got the potential. I mean, he's he's been good enough to go and play in New Zealand for a bit. So I, I do think we do have a really good player on our hands there. And he just needs to put a bit more trust in him.
1: Exactly. We've got the depth. I think the thing is with England, it's we expect a lot more from them. Not saying they should have won the tournament, but they should have won at least three games out of five rather than two. And that is a shame and that's why I think I've given them a C because they haven't exceeded my expectations. They've, you know, they've gone below that.
0: Moving on to Scotland, then. Scotland. What have you gone for them?
1: I've gone for C. Again. I've also
0: gone for a C. Yeah, they they were good, but I said it in the previous episode that they are a side that are full of reputation but just can't produce any form. I mean,
1: if you're looking at the body of work, the introduction
0: was great the introduction was outstanding
1: it really captured your attention beating <laughs> England intro brilliant intro set us up nicely for the rest of rest of the uh, of the assignment mm-hmm.
0: and yet there lost was, their way they, they definitely lost their way structure wasn't there attention to detail wasn't there and the key sources that they brought out failed when they needed them most yeah you know they were inaccurate
1: exactly I think Scotland and, and they'll admit it themselves they should have done better this tournament you know they beat Italy beat England which was great but They just weren't at it in those other games. And it wasn't like they made it close either. They got swept aside by France, got swept aside by Ireland. It's tricky to say, but I think Scotland aren't in the best place at the end of this
0: tournament. No, they aren't. But I I still don't think we, me putting myself in a Scotland bracket here, should be too down in the dumps about it. There are some fantastic players in that squad. I thought Matt Fagson throughout the tournament was amazing. Roy Darge is obviously, we've spoken about him before, really young. And I think he'll be growing in confidence and be a key part of that Scotland side. I mean, obviously, further into the backs, they've got Darcy Graham. They were out without der Vandermeer. The Stuart Hogg will remain in that squad for the time being. So, I, And Ali Price was excellent as the tournament went on. Yeah. So they've got really good players. It's just whether they can solve these form problems.
1: Exactly. And moving on to Wales.
0: A D. I've gone for a
1: D as well.
0: Fail. I mean, I saw well, it. Can
1: you just read out your, your D criterion again just because i there was something that
0: (laughs) the candidate has produced work which falls below the expected standards it relies heavily on one source shows limited structure with a persistent lack of attention to detail
1: see when you say it relies heavily on one source yeah it relies heavily on the one game they won against (laughs) scotland and and that shouldn't be the case you know that their whole tournament they won one game i think without disrespecting italy because We clearly love them on this podcast, but they should beat Italy and they didn't do that. That, The minimum requirement for for Wales was to win two games.
0: Especially at home. Yeah. (laughs) like I, I, I feel like we need to keep reinforcing this. Yes, they should be beating Italy, but even more so in the cauldron that is the principality. Exactly.
1: They had Scotland and they had Italy at home you should win both those games but I mean it leads won.
0: leads us nicely to what we were talking about when we were talking about home advantage and saying that actually the principality isn't as big as a force that we potentially think it is I mean the big question here is should PIVAC go?
1: I think again it's a similar situation to England's one where we are quite close to World Cup a lot of people say of course that Rassi Erasmus took over um, South Africa 18 months to World Cup around this time and they end up winning
0: it that's a very very good point
1: but I think With Wales, it's more likely than with England. I think England, there is no chance of Eddie Jones going, and I actually don't think he should go. With Wales, it's like who is available for them first things first. You know, you can't sack someone without anyone, any ideal candidate waiting in the wings. What was worrying also about Wayne Pivac was after the game he was saying that if he gets Wales to a quarter final, everyone would be happy. Which again, you know, this is a side that he took over that got to the semifinal.
0: Yeah, small club mentality, isn't it? <laughs> exactly.
1: The, you know, Wales, of course, they punch above their weight a lot in terms of player base, and but gatland was incredible for them he got into number one in the world for a short sure yeah period time. i was
0: going to talk about that i mean it's only three years ago that they were number one in the world yeah i mean before that they were seventh so i think this shows in international rugby things can change so quickly so that was in 2018 that they were seventh in yeah. february and then switch forward a year and they're they're number one in the world but i think we also got to remember that this is a side that won the six nations they came into this as defending an, champions. An 80
1: minute, uh, 80th minute try away from winning the Grand Slam. Exactly.
0: And they won the Triple Crown. So it's just, it's really hard to get your head around. It's really worrying. It um, is worrying.
1: And they've also got to go to South Africa for a three-test tour in the summer, which, if they don't shape up, will be a mauling. I think Wales, they do have the talent. That's another thing about all these sides, especially England, Wales and Scotland, who've underperformed this tournament they've all got the talent to perform better than they have done so that's why it's disappointing i think that's why we've graded them so so lowly but finally italy
0: a b for me a
1: b i've given them an a, a an a yeah. i thought i was
0: being i was being um optimistic with a or, b we're not I think optimistic the
1: thing is is that it's difficult because if you're marking them all in the same context they don't get an a but if you're you know, this student's been lagging behind quite a lot recently. Yeah, yeah, the
0: the expectations were far lower.
1: Exactly. They haven't been performing very well, so you have to give them a different criteria to the rest of them. And I think no one would have expected them to win at the Principality, obviously, I wouldn't have expected them to, you know, take Scotland quite close uh, in, in their game, you know, only 11-point winning margin. So for them, I just think no one thought they were going to win a game, no one thought they were going to perform at all. And actually they played very well in large parts of this tournament. So I have to give them an A. And also, going sort of in a cyclical way back to the first episode when I spoke about their under-20s, their under-20s came fourth in the championship. They actually won three games out of five, including their first win over England under-20s. So they only actually came uh, fourth because England had a better points difference, but England actually lost more games than them. So there's something happening with, with Italian rugby, and I really hope they can just keep building on this win in the Principality. And also, the player that won man of the match for them this weekend against Wales was a certain Alessandro
0: Garbizzi. Ah,
1: so things little, you love to see. Little brother doing well as well, uh, uh, as well as Paolo Garbizzi. So look, there definitely is a succession plan in place. They've got players coming through and I think Kieran Crowley is keen to maybe not get them in for the World Cup coming, but after that, Maybe they can build on something,
0: and we just need some consistency from Italy. Just one thing I wanted to pick up on in terms of like what's changed for them this championship. I saw an interesting stat about their difference in kicking stats. They've jumped from 80 kicks in the total of the Six Nations in 2021, so this kicks from hand, to 159 kicks in this year's tournaments. So that's nearly double the amount of kicks, and I think that shows how much Garbisi is running this side, yeah. and it's it's obvious. But with such a young player, we've spoken about it so many times, I'm so excited to see where this Italy side can go.
1: Yeah, really pleased for them. Great end to the tournament. And we look forward to to next year. Right, that's all from us today. Of course, the Six Nations is over for the men, but... If you're looking for that rugby fix to continue, we've got the TikTok Women's Six Nations starting this weekend. Scotland against England at 12 o'clock. Ireland against Wales at 4.45. And France against Italy on Sunday at 3 o'clock. You know what? I really, really highly encourage you to watch some of these games. This England side in particular on a world record winning streak. The World Cup is later this year. Summer Middleton has got these girls playing incredible rugby. And I think... They are the favourites for the Grand Slam. Uh, Their game against France will be the big match in this tournament. But you know what? Rugby continues. So if you're interested, check it out. It's on BBC2 or on iPlayer across the weekend. Would highly recommend. But as for the men's Six Nations, done for another year. We're going to have to think of something else to talk about now. Charlie and I have got a week or so to think of that. But until then, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, make sure to go and follow the podcast on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, at The Pot Pass Pod. If you're feeling extra nice, of course, please give us a five-star rating if you've enjoyed our Six Nations coverage this year. It really helps us out a lot. But in the meantime, we will be back next week, as always. We don't know what we're going to talk about. Maybe a little bit of a review of the first weekend of the Women's Six Nations. Maybe we'll talk about Bath again. Who knows? But we'll see you then. This is the Pop Pass Podcast with me, Freddie. And me, Charlie. Thanks so much for listening.